This is part three, the last section of a conversation recorded on December 30th, 2019, with three members of CARN, that is Citizens Against Radioactive Neighborhoods here in Peterborough. You'll hear Peter Harris, Corrine Mintz, James Scott. My name is Bill Templeton. People think that the CNSC is carefully monitoring the situation at BWXT, but the fact is, is the industry is very self-regulated. For instance, in the last licensing period, starting in 2010 until 2018, there were only eight air samples taken in the area around Toronto's facility, and one of those samples was 490 times background, and that's the upper upper level of backgrounds, 490 times background. So (laughs) it kind of ruins your trust in what they're doing there. And I think there was another number like that, too. And what about the testing that they've done here? In Peterborough, a sample taken in 2014 at Prince Wales School was 13 times the upper level of background. But you could... Um, I should also point out that one of the speakers we had at our event um, actually had to go to GE Itachi and tell them that maybe putting your cafeteria right next to the stored uranium oxide pellets yes. wasn't a very good yes. thing to do. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, no, no. So he worked on this for three years. No intervention on the part of the CNSC or its predecessor. So eventually, one of the guys upstairs gets cancer, and they say, oh, maybe we should have lead shielding. So they put lead shielding on the floor, not on the sides of the stored uranium oxide, just on the ceiling, yeah, sorry, uh, and preventing the, the radiation going upstairs to the engineering floor. And they moved the guys outside into a portable. So this wasn't the CNSC, it wasn't GE Itachi, this was a, a union steward who had a grade 8 education telling them, maybe it's a, not a good idea to have the capture <laughs> right next to the stored Yes. And that's just one. He has story after story after story. And we go to Cameco. It's the same situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Temporary workers being used in high-risk situations, Mm -hmm. turning up the flow on water uh, to uh, increase the flow of uh, uranium into into the water uh, uh, and and saving the blades on the grinders. Uh, So uh, lots of examples of how uh, self-regulation doesn't work. And I would hope that people in Peterborough would begin to recognize after this legacy of cancer that we have in this city, that people would begin to realize that self-regulation really is maybe not the best thing to have. Now, where are the benchmarks for the cancer rates? Uh, because this is this is core public health this, this is information. The, this is the problem. There's no epidemiology being done on workers or on former workers. There's not nobody following the rates of cancer in workers in the nuclear industry in Peterborough. In Peterborough. So we have no idea what's going on, uh, and you know it, it just has taken some vocal people, zero leadership from our politicians. I have to say, it just union representatives and, and people working with uh, and a community representative 
conservatives, people working hard to get people to recognize that there is an issue here. And I would hope that people might be a little bit jaded in this city and recognize that maybe self-regulation isn't the best thing to have in a nuclear right. industry. You know, it seems like right now we're getting to the heart of the beast. I mean, at the end of the day, people listen to this information how does it affect me? How does it affect the health of my children, my my, my family, my loved ones? Uh, and even to be anything cool, else? To even be cold, how it affects your real estate? Well, it's not going to help it. I can tell that. And if you're a fish, and if you're somebody fishing in this region, you know what's going to be in the water. What are the fish eating? What are, if you're a hunter? What are what are those animals that you're shooting eating? Like you know. It's it's not it's, it's affecting everybody far and wide. It's not it's not just right here. Okay, can we dig into these politics a bit more? Why is it? And now our leaders, certainly at municipal level and the federal level, Diane Tarian, uh, Maria Monsef, these are known people. They're in the community. Many of us know them. They are educated people. They are smart. They are sharp. I haven't met David Smith yet. I assume he's qualified to hold his position. Why are these people just not hearing this? It's very, I have asked myself that really. I, I assume I know that they're all intelligent people, that they understand the situation, and why we're getting no support is, is baffling to me. It's baffling because this is the legacy that will be left behind forever, forever in mm-hmm. Peterborough. This will be left behind forever if this goes through. So, and it will likely be remembered that our, MP at that time did nothing to stop it, and that our mayor as well did nothing to stop this process from going through. And let's not let our MPP off as well, whose premier has supported small nuclear reactors, and who is therefore, in supporting his premier, is therefore advocating for enriched uranium to come into Peterborough as well. Now, I wanted to find out more about, though, these small reactors. The plan is a town like Peterborough... Uh, 80,000 population could have its own small nuclear reactor. Yeah, using enriched uranium and all the inherent risks that we are so familiar with with uh, nuclear reactors. There's arguments that these nuclear reactors are perfectly safe, but in fact there's there isn't a working example of them uh, except in nuclear applications. And if you go on to Wikipedia and Google uh, nuclear submarine accidents, you'll find quite a, a number of them. So the failure rate of those, well, whether or not they're directly the reactors or what they are, but because uh, we never really know what happens. Yes, yes. The Russian Navy yes, yes. does yeah. not disclose. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a number of them that have sunk around the world. So if that's the template they're, they're using, I think you could probably argue that it's not not a very safe one. So we have those reactors uh, on naval ships. Other than that, there's not really any good not good examples of reactors around the world. We have to consider as a green technology, green in quotation marks, that we still have not dealt with any any of the nuclear rate waste created uh, with any of our reactors in this country. Not one of them has properly disposed of its waste. If you go to Pickering right now, there's a, a berm going out into Lake Ontario with a whole bunch of, one of them has a berm with a bunch of radioactive waste sitting on, on this wharf out into, into the lake. So there's not any place to put this stuff. And they're down to two, two sites for a nuclear repository. One is in, in southern Ontario near Bruce. The other one is near St. Ignace in northern Ontario, I believe. 
and it too, uh, we believe, will probably, both sites are likely going to be rejected. So we'll be back to square one with trying to find a place to bury this stuff. And this and this has been going on since the nuclear industry began. They're like, oh, don't worry, we'll figure out what to do with the waste. But that's like, we're so many years ahead of right. that, and, and still no decent solution has been found. So why do we keep producing this waste? Now, earlier in our discussion, you mentioned that in, in Europe, particularly Germany, there has been a process of denuclearization, if you will. How did they manage to pull that off, where they're closing nuclear facilities and moving into alternative energy? Well, the German government set up um, a study. It was a very well-constructed study around leukemia around the nuclear power plants, and they accepted um, the results of that study, the KIKK study and so there's the political will in Germany the public does not want nuclear there this is the pints and politics podcast posted january 9th 2020 you're listening to a panel discussion with three members of carn that is, the Citizens Against Radioactive Neighborhoods, here in Peterborough, Ontario. The voices you'll hear are Jane Scott, Corrine Mintz, and Peter Harris. My name is Bill Templeman. Any last words? We need your help. We need people to get up and say something. We can't do this on our own. We, we, don't, we aren't comfortable doing this. We really need yeah. advocates in our community. We more, need people to advocates. stand up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we need people to say, this is not right. It doesn't belong here. Don't put it in downtown Peterborough and compound a historical mistake. The number one thing of Alara is to, to reduce risk is to have separation between the radiation source and the people using or in the circumstance where radiation is needed. So distance is one of the key things that removes risks. And by putting it in downtown Peterborough, they're ignoring that number one rule, that fundamental rule of Alara. In Toronto, um, you know, people in Peterborough need to understand that once this risk is here, um, it's going to be nagging at the back of your head. Once you have this pelleting operation in downtown Peterborough and your relative uh, develops cancer, you're going to be scratching your head. Uh, maybe it was BWXT. Maybe it was the uranium down there. Maybe I should have been active. And I know that in the area around BWXT lands down in Toronto, uh, people have bought Geiger counters, which cost, if you're buying something reasonable, over $1,000. They bought Geiger counters because they're that concerned about uh, radiation coming out of this plant, uh, about about uranium dust leaving the plant and entering their, their households. One guy emailed me and told me that he was going to measure his filter, air filter, in his furnace. He just got a Geiger counter. He's going to put it up to the, the filter and see if the filter was any hotter than uh, any Anything else in the house. So, you know, it's these concerns that everybody should have. What's your life going to look like once this pelting operation begins here? Are you going to be scratching your head constantly every time somebody you know develops cancer and saying, should I have done something about this? Should I have filed an intervention? You'll never really know. We don't know. BWXT doesn't know. CNSE doesn't know. Nobody will ever know. That's the problem here. And number one rule is not putting people in harm's way. And that's exactly what they're doing by allowing this. Anything else? 
So BWXT implies that natural uranium is safe because it gives off low gamma radiation. But the fact is, is uh, uranium dioxide is so dangerous when you inhale it because it also gives out alpha particles and beta particles. But the alpha particles are the really dangerous ones because they're very heavy and they can, they're the most destructive type of radiation to DNA and cells. So they can do a lot of damage that to be, way. To be, to be destructive, they have to be inside, inside your the body. body. So the um, companies will say uh, their measurements are coming, assuming that these particles are not getting inside your body. But the reality is they do get inside people's bodies easily. Yeah, one, sing, one single grain is enough to give you your, your dose level. Uh, exceed it by 200 times. So At least. Yes. So... so we, we, the the way that the radiation is delivered is the concern. And Jane talks about the false analogy of the low, um, well, uh, natural uranium. Uh, it doesn't, compared to other sources of radiation, like polonium or other things like that, the amount of radiation it emits is relatively small. But if you get the uh, uranium inside your body as dust, and that's the issue here, it's the dust, and once you get that inside of your body, it, it poses a completely different risk. And we have these massive particles, these alpha particles, smashing into your inner tissues, causing changes to your DNA, and potentially causing cancer. So it's how the radiation is delivered. And right now, we don't have to worry about dust in Peterborough because we get the pellets already manufactured shipped to us. But if we start manufacturing the pellets here, then the dust will be the, the issue. In fact, uh, when Jane first got active in this, she can tell you the quote that the former head of safety for GE Tashi told her. Yeah, Paul Desiri told me, don't worry, uh, uranium, natural uranium dioxide dust is only dangerous if it gets into the body, if you inhale it, ingest it, or it gets in the cut. And there isn't much dust in Peterborough. But I always thought, oh, my God, I'm glad that we're not in Toronto, at least, because they have lots of dust there. And now they're proposing to bring it to Peterborough. Is there such a thing, such a thing, such a being out there as a, a, a nuclear engineer, radiation expert who is not in the pocket of industry, who can give guidance to you who can confirm so because as i sit here i realize that none of us are nuclear experts well something that is very telling is the organization that comes up with the risk assessment is called the international commission on radiological protection and the the chair of that organization that came up with the most recent guidelines resigned and after he resigned he said that um, he admitted that for internal emitters such as inhaled um, uranium dioxide powder their um, risk assessments were up to um, two magnitudes wrong and that's coming from him and he also admitted that it was wrong for them to ignore um, recent data coming out of you know like war zones with the depleted uranium and also cell studies well Okay, well, Jane Scott, uh, Peter Harris, Kareem Mintz, thank you so much for making time for this. I uh, appreciate this. And this conversation will be broadcast on Trent Radio in January and will be posted. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.